The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Ephesians 4 is what Ephesians 4 1 to 16 is what uh, Gerard just read out, which is the passage that we uh, are essentially going to finish on today. So we're going to be um, today is what we call Mission Sunday or Vision Sunday, where we're going to be basically looking at what our mission of the church is. What's what's our goal of this church? What are we doing here as a church? And, and we usually do a Vision Sunday or a few Sundays like this at the beginning of each year, just to get our minds on track for what we're doing as a church. What, are, what where we feel like God is leading us. And so we're going to talk about a bunch of different things today and then finish up in Ephesians 4. Um, But if I can be honest, when I look at the year ahead, I don't know what to expect. And that's always been true. We've always known that's the case. We don't know what to expect when we look at the year ahead. Uh, But it feels a lot more certain now that we don't actually know what to expect each year. A buddy of mine, he's a pastor in Brisbane, um, we were on the phone this week and he just said, say, he's like, hey, you pumped about the year ahead? And I had to say, oh, no. Pumped is not a word I would use right now for the year ahead. Now, it's not that I'm skeptical or negative or anything like that. It's I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful in the God who was faithful to us all the time and in the God who was always faithful to us. He is faithful. But pumped is something that we, would, we might express when we're kind of really excited because we know what's going to actually happen. If anything, if the last couple of years have taught us anything, it's that we don't know what to expect from this year. We don't know what this year is going to hold. We don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. Our plans have had to shift rapidly many times over the last couple of years. It's been a tremendous time of, of turbulence for a lot of people. Most of us in this room can point to something really significant in the last 12 to 24 months that has radically shaped and changed our lives. And so it feels a bit funny to to stand here and talk about Vision Sunday and what we're doing as a church. It's kind of like what the Apostle James writes in in James chapter 4. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet, You do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Don't you love how honest the Bible is about us? (laughs) You are like a vapor. Like it's not here today, gone tomorrow. It's here today, gone today. That's how a vapor is, right? Vapor doesn't last for more than a few seconds. The Bible is totally honest about us. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of feeling like I'm starting to realize just how true James was, just how on the money James was. So it does feel a little bit strange to stand here and go, hey, this is what we're doing for the year, because I don't know what this year is going to hold. We, we need to get in the habit of what James is saying there, to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. And so when I stand here in front of you guys as your pastor and say, hey, this is what we're doing as a church, it's very much a, we want to be doing what God wills us to do. We want to be doing the things that God wants us to be doing. We want to be anchored to the, to the activity, the work that we want to be doing should be centered around what God has called us to do, not just our own aspirations. And so as I've considered this year, as I've considered 2022, and I've considered everything that we've got in front of us, my thoughts and my prayers have gone towards 
those things that just will not change, the things that just cannot change. Like God is holy, God is righteous, God is magnificent, God is omnipotent, God is omniscient, God is omnipresent, God is omnibenevolent, God is powerful. There's nothing he can't do, there's nothing he doesn't know, there is nowhere that he isn't. God is powerful like that, that hasn't and never will change. Or God loves us with a deep, caring wonderful affection that does not and will not change. Jesus sits on the throne. He is enthroned above the heavens and the earth. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That has not changed and that will not change. And so as we look towards this year, what we're doing as a church, what our vision is, what the mission is for this church, I want to be doing something that doesn't change. And so there's... One thing I know that we should be doing that hasn't changed, that won't change, and that is to make disciples. That is what God has put us on earth to do, to to make disciples. That is what Jesus commissions his disciples to do, and that will not change. Regardless of what the last couple of years has held for us, and regardless of what this year is going to hold for us as a church, we are called to make disciples mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ for all of life. That's our mission statement as a church. That's, that's the mission statement we adopted when we planted this church. We inherited inherit it from our sending church, Life Center Church, North Lakes. It, it's what we're doing. It's what we're all about. And my hope and prayer is that if you stick around with us long enough, you will see this mission played out in our lives. You'll see this mission played out uh, in our church, played out amongst us. We are called to make, mature, and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ for all of life. So making disciples, that's what we're doing. My hope and prayer for this church is that everything that we do here as a church can, can point back and be effectively seen to be, yeah, we're doing that because we're making disciples. Oh, we're doing this over here because we're making disciples. That's what this is all about. And so there's lots that can be said about discipleship, but I just want to make three really simple points this morning about discipleship. The first point is this. Disciples always, discipleship always begins with the gospel. Point number two is disciples are always growing. And point number three is discipleship is a group project. Discipleship always begins with the gospel. Disciples are always growing. And discipleship is a group project. Now, there is much more that can be said about discipleship, but that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So to begin with, discipleship always begins with the gospel. And I would immediately add to that, it not only begins with the gospel, but is sustained by the gospel. Discipleship is, it begins with the gospel and it's sustained by the gospel. The gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, is at the absolute core of everything that we do together as a church. It is the gravitational epicenter of life together as a church. Paul says in Romans 1 that he is not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. That is... 
that everybody who hears the message of Jesus Christ and believes that message to be true will be saved from their sins. They will be saved from the punishment that they deserve for their sins. If you believe that message, if you believe the truth about Jesus Christ, then you have been saved from your sins. Isn't that wonderful? That, that's what's required of us to believe, to put our faith in Jesus Christ, and, and nothing more than that in the sense that we can't do anything else to get that. How, oh then, are we saved by just believing a message? Well, Paul goes on in verse 17 to say, For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. See, our God is holy and perfect, and there is no one like him. And the gospel reveals the fact that sinners can be made righteous just like God. His holiness and perfection is offered to sinners as a free gift of grace through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Holiness and perfection is offered to you as a free gift of grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means that everybody who puts their faith in Jesus will be justified by God. They will be made righteous, called righteous, in right standing with God, called holy and perfect. Regardless of how bad things have gotten, regardless of what you have done or or will do, regardless of, of how many times you've done it, you have been justified by God if your faith is in Jesus Christ. And that means that we don't have to justify ourselves anymore. We don't have to try and prove ourselves anymore. We've got nothing left to prove. The pressure is off because we have been accepted by God. Now just consider that for a moment. So much of life can be characterized by trying to earn the acceptance of other people. Driving the right cars, having the right kind of house, having the right job, whatever it is, having the right, the right shaped body, whatever it is, to be accepted by people. And sometimes we seek the acceptance and the approval of people that we've never even met and probably never will meet. And we hope one day they might see us and accept us. And in the gospel, we've got the God of the universe who has the highest standards of all accepting us by his grace by the free gift of grace. Not because of anything we've done. We've done nothing to to prove to God that we are somehow worthy of salvation. We can't make ourselves a better version of ourselves enough that God would actually love us. He just loves us by his grace towards us. He accepts us by his good gift of grace towards us. And God did this because he loves us and he would be glorified by laying down his life for us out of his great love that he has towards us. Here's something that's been anchoring my heart for the last few weeks. God loves me more than I love anything. God loves you more than you love anything. And for some of us, The very best thing that we could ever achieve this year is to become better acquainted with how much God loves us. Like, you might achieve nothing else this year except just become a lot better at at receiving and understanding how much God loves you, and that would be a year well spent. Imagine if you got to the end of this year and, and you were able to say at the end of this year that you felt like you were a bit of an expert in God's love for you. 
Like you might not be good at anything else, but you're really good at knowing how much God loves you. You go deep with that. Just listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. And this is just, again, one of those, one of those verses, one of those passages. I read it again this week, and I was like, it felt like it was, I was reading it afresh, reading it new, because it's just so life-giving. He says, I pray that you, and he's addressing to the church, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses all knowledge, so that you will be filled with, the full, with all the fullness of God. Now, that's remarkable. Just look at that last line. So that you will be filled with all the fullness of God. That's wonderful, right? So, so God's purpose, Paul says, God, what God wants for us is to be filled with all of the fullness of God. He wants us to be filled and satisfied and, and not empty. He wants us to be fully, uh, fully receiving and, and enjoying and experiencing everything that God has for us. The fullness of God that we would know, we would be filled with the fullness of God. That's what God wants for us. And if that's all that Paul says, if that's all that Paul said, that would have been great, right? Like he could have said, I pray that you will be filled with all the fullness of God and cut out that middle section. He could have said that. And that would have been really, really wonderful. But it gets better. Because what he's saying here is that the, re- the way we get to that point, the way we actually become filled with the fullness of God is by co- trying to comprehend how much God loves you. Did, you. did you catch that? Like, I, It took me a while, so let me just go over that again. The way that we become filled with all the fullness of God is by thinking about how much he loves us. If I can paraphrase... Paul's saying, you'll never really know how much God loves you. You'll never get to the bottom of God's love. But you should really try to find out how much he loves you. Because as you do, you will be filled with a fullness that you won't be able to get anywhere else. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, my suspicion is that even though you might have some doubts, even though you might have some objections to believing, at the very least, you should want that to be true. That the God of this universe wants us to be filled with all of his fullness. The God of this universe wants us to be eternally satisfied. And the, means that he's, the way that he's designed us to get to that point is by thinking about how much he loves us. That's wonderful. That's That's chocolate. That's sweet, that's delicious. Chew on that, think about that. Meditate on God's love for you. This is why the gospel is central for everything that we do as a church because it's the beauty and wonder of that truth that takes over our lives by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit and puts us on a path to, to live accordingly, to live in response to God and in response to his love for us. See, discipleship always begins with and is sustained by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if our mission, if we're going to do our mission to make, mature, and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus for all of life, if we're going to do that, we've got to, first of all, 
Remember, know, meditate on, chew on, try and comprehend how much God loves us. And there's no point going to the next step until we get to that point, until we start, at least start doing that. There's no point in trying to make disciples of Jesus Christ if we aren't, if we aren't marinating our hearts daily in God's love for us, hourly in God's love for us. May we as a church become experts in God's love for us. Discipleship always begins with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he loves us, he loves you. Here's something really practical that you can do this afternoon, just to get you on that path. Go home this afternoon, get a piece of paper and a pen, or a journal if you've got that, and go to the parts of the Bible that you know you can remember where it talks about God's love for you. John 3.16, good start. Where else? Like, what can you get to? And then when you've exhausted all of your knowledge about all the parts where it talks about God's love for you, all the things that you can remember, Google it. Bible verses about God's love. And then go from Google and look them up in the Bible and highlight them in your Bible and write them down and journal that stuff out and make that part of your regular daily routine of journaling and writing down just how much God loves you. Your heart will soar. A lot of the burdens that we're carrying, a lot of the frustrations that we're feeling, a lot of the weariness that so many many of us are walking through right now is alleviated, will be alleviated by the fact that God loves us. God is with us. God is for us. Stew on the fact that God loves you. So point number one, discipleship always begins with the gospel. Point number two, disciples are always growing. When the Bible deals with the topic of discipleship, it treats discipleship, it treats a disciple as somebody who is on a lifelong learning process as they follow Jesus. We live in a broken world full of despair and anguish in bodies that are somewhat still marred by the curse of sin, which means that life doesn't turn out perfectly for us as soon as we start following Jesus. It's not as if everything is made perfect for us straight away. However, we are set on a path by God, and that path leads us on a journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. There are a couple of terms that I think are helpful for us to understand this. Those terms are apprenticeship, apprentice and pilgrim. As apprentices, we are always learning, learning on the job, learning from our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, learning from experience, and our bodies mark, bear the marks of our lessons. Consider the 12 disciples who walked with Jesus daily for three years, and at the end, he sent them off to continue doing the same thing. He wasn't inviting them into a classroom setting, which tells us that it's more than just head knowledge, more than just books and theology. It's the experience of walking with Jesus. As disciples, we're apprentices. But also as disciples, we are pilgrims and we are on a journey, leaving the place that we once were and heading towards the end goal, which is God himself. It's what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. Wonderful phrase for understanding what discipleship is. Long obedience in the same direction. He's actually written a book called that. I can recommend it to you. If you want to grow in your faith, have a read of that book. Discipleship, disciples are always growing because God is always at work in our lives. 
We are always growing to become more and more like Jesus. And our, our journey of growth, the way we're growing, will be ultimately fulfilled, ultimately finished at the end of all days when we come face to face with Jesus Christ and we see him as he is. So let's just pay attention to, to, some, following, to some verses. Romans 8.29, Paul writes, For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God's purposes for us is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. He elaborates on this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, saying that we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So the more we look, the more we behold the glory of God, the more we're going to be transformed by one degree to the next into the, into the glorious image of Jesus Christ. So how do we behold the glory of God? Well, where is God most glorious? At the cross. That's where God is most glorious. As, as the God of the universe laid down his life for sinners, that's the most glorious thing. That's, abs- and that's absolutely wonderful thing that God did for us. So the, the more you behold the gospel, the more you think about what God did for us and how he loves us that much, that's how we're transformed from one degree of glory to the next. The Apostle John writes the same things. He says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. That is, when you become a Christian, you become a child of God like that. You become adopted in. You become one of God's children when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And what we will be is yet to be revealed. It's the now but not yet. It's, like it's the yes, but it's still to come as well. And on that day, when we see Jesus, we will become just as he is. I was thinking about this this week. There's lots of people in this world who we might aspire to be like. Celebrities, professionals in certain fields, YouTube influences, whatever, whatever it is, people who we look and we go, we want to be like those people. There is no one better to model your life off than Jesus Christ. There is no one better to... There's no one, we should aspire to be like no one else other than Jesus Christ. He is wonderful. He is beautiful. Look at the way that Jesus deals with the, the poor and the marginalized, with, with dignity and respect. Look at the way that Jesus deals with abuses of power. Look at the way that Jesus deals with his friends. Look at the, the way that Jesus deals with the, the outcasts, the ones who, who nobody wants to be around. He's the best. He's absolutely the best. All of this comes together in Philippians 1.6 when Paul writes, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to, to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You see, ultimately, discipleship is an activity where we are always growing and becoming more and more like Jesus. Discipleship is the result of God's initiative and his ongoing work in our lives and will come to fruition and fulfillment on the day that we are brought face to face to live with God eternally. And that means that if you've still got air in your lungs, there's still work to be done on you. There's still areas in your life where you still need to grow. If you've got air in your lungs, there's still space for you to grow. Some of us might have 
several years of, of air in our lungs. Some of us less so, some of us more so. There's always work to be done. So another practical thing we could do is go home this afternoon and maybe as we're hopping into bed, get down on our knees and say, Lord, where do I need to grow? Where have I not allowed your love to impact my life? What is, a, what is an area of my life that I've not allowed you to be king over, that, I, that I'm still kind of in charge of that particular area? Where is that, Lord? And Father, would you give me the grace to, to change? So discipleship uh, be, always begins, in, begins with the gospel. Disciples are always growing. And the third point is this. Discipleship is a group project. And this is just this idea of it being a group project or something that the community does together. That's the main point of Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, which Jared read out earlier. This passage is about discipleship. So in the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul lays out some really wonderful and high and lofty truths about who God is. He's the God of the universe. He, 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 uh, he, he raised us from death to life. And, and it kind of culminates with what we talked about earlier about the, the height and the depth and the width and the, and the greatness of God's love for us. And then he begins chapter 4 with these words, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. So in light of everything that Paul's just said about the wonderful uh, beauty and majesty of Jesus Christ, therefore, this is how we should walk. If, if the previous section, if the first three chapters of Ephesians is about doctrine, then the second three chapters is about duty. We've had, we've had the indicative, and now we have the imperative. And Paul's about to start to outline everything that we should respond to in this uh, about, about discipleship, and it has so much to do with community. He goes straight away into community, the body of Christ. Now, there's an awful lot to cover in that passage. We're not at all going to be able to get to cover it all. My hope was to be able to really work through this passage today and next week, but that's not going to be able to happen anymore. But uh, for the sake of time, we can divide this section, Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, into three clear parts. The first part, verses 1 to 6, teaches us that Christians are called to unite themselves to other believers. Christians are called to unite themselves to other believers. We're not united together by race or age or ethnicity or anything like that, but rather through our one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I believe that this unity that is grounded in the work of Christ will cause the church to shine. It will set the church apart. We are living in a day and age that is fracturing at the moment, where hairline fractures are being shaken into full-blown chasms and earthquakes. We live in a day and age where people are going to battle with one another, regarding one another as enemies because they have a different opinion about a certain issue. And if the church is to be obedient to what God calls us to do here, then the church is going to shine in our world because we have Jesus Christ. We have every reason to be humble. We have every reason to be gentle. We have every reason to be patient. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 2. He says, Read from verse 1, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. What does worthiness look like? With all humility, with gentleness and patience. 
He says, bearing with one another in love. I love the honesty of that. I love how honest Paul is about that. Because you don't have to bear, some, bear with somebody if they're not unbearable. He's just being straight up honest about that. He's saying, hey, you're going to get a bunch of sinners in the same room together and call them family. It's going to become unbearable. So, bear with one another in love. He goes on. He says, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I'm struck by that phrase, making every effort. I take making every effort to mean not making some effort, or making a bit of effort, or a little bit of effort, or when we feel like a bit of effort, or when no one's watching, bit of effort. No, make every effort, in every conversation, in every Facebook post, in every way that you talk to somebody or talk about a particular issue, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And if the church can be obedient to Christ in this way, the church will shine in this day and age. Because we have people in this room who have disagreements over certain COVID-related issues. We have that. And that's okay. Because that, our agreement on that was never the thing that actually held us together in the first place. When we planted this church, I didn't even had never even heard the word COVID. I thought Corona was a beer or a car. I liked the word Corona. I like Coronas, the beers and the cars. <laughs> Actually, Corona's on the bed. That's not. We didn't. We didn't plan a church based on that. We the, the church has been planned. The church has been created. We formed. We, we we come together in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace because of what Jesus has done for us. That's our reason for uniting to other believers. That we come together to church on a Sunday morning and we look around and go, look at this spectacular room of sinners, just like me. I, I'm, a, I'm a failure. I fail so often in my life. And I'm, I sit with a, in a, with a group of people who have been saved by grace just like me and we get together and we sing songs and we go, wow, how great is God. Isn't it amazing that he saved a group of people like us? That's what unites us together. We have every reason to be humble with one another, every reason to be patient with one another, every reason to be gentle with one another, every reason to bear with one another, and every reason to make every effort we possibly can to protect the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace because that's exactly what Jesus did for us when we least deserved it. If you're waiting for someone else in this room to make that effort first, it's not, you're going you're to be waiting too long. Jesus has already done that for you. So respond to that. Part two of this section, and sorry, I've gone way off my notes there. Part two of this section, verses 7 to 13, teaches us that Christians are equipped by God to do the work that God has called us to do. So this, in this section, Paul talks a lot about the grace that is given to every believer, to the gifts given to, to, the, to, the, to the church in certain roles in the people. See, the work that we have been called to do is to make disciples, and each believer is given grace according to the measure of Christ's fullness to get the job done. This means that you and I have each been given exactly what we need to make disciples. We have been given exactly what we need. And here's the thing. 
Discipleship, making disciples, is not a work, it's not a task that is left up to a few trained people or a few passionate people or, or the leaders of the church. In fact, my role as a pastor, according to this verse, according to this passage, is not so much to do the work of the ministry, but in verse 12 it says that to actually equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We are each called to make disciples. When Jesus commissioned the, the 11 disciples in Matthew 28 and sent them into the, all the world to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that he's commanded them to do, when he does that, that wasn't just for those 11 men there. That was a commission for every single disciple of Jesus. See, if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. There's no difference between those two things. Discipleship is not some upgrade from Christianity. And if you're a disciple, then you are called to make more disciples. So we are called to make disciples. Let me put it to you this way. We're called to make disciples. How do you want to do that? And what do you need from me? See, if my role in this church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, my question to you is, how do you want to do that? And how can I help? How can I help you make disciples? How can I help you take the gospel to the people in the world around you who don't yet know Jesus? How can I help you with training or books or whatever it is to make disciples? And I want to commend you to start thinking right now, what has actually God, in this idea of making disciples, where has God pointed me? Which direction am I headed with that? For some of you, you're already involved in, in certain ministries, things like um, religious instruction or, or red frogs or school chaplaincy. It might be uh, that God is directing you towards certain things like um, social issues like refugees or um, homelessness or people poor and marginalized. It might be a certain group of people, a certain age group or a certain demographic or people in a particular area, and you just can't get those people off your mind. You can't get that group of people off you. Just, you keep thinking about it. And maybe, just maybe, God is calling you to go there and make disciples. Or maybe it's a person on your street. Maybe it's a lady on your street who, who lives on her own and doesn't have anybody. Maybe it's a, a young family and they just seem to be under a lot of pressure. Maybe it's a neighbor who you get along really well with and they, you've known them for years and you haven't really ever talked about Jesus with them. Maybe that's who God, as I'm talking right now, who are you thinking of? Maybe it's a work colleague and you see them every day. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a person who works at the cafe that you go to. And you just feel compelled to, to share the gospel. Who, where is God pointing you right now? How do you want to make disciples? And, and what do you need from me? The third part of this section, Ephesians 4, so verses 14 to 16, teaches us that Christians are called to not just go out into the world to make disciples, but they're also called to help one another to grow. Now, I said this earlier, the disciples are always growing. And here, Paul is saying that growth comes through being actively, intentionally, and personally involved in someone else's life for the purpose of building them up in Jesus Christ. That we help one another grow by looking at the people in this room, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and actively, intentionally, personally being engaged with their life, getting involved in their life with the purpose of helping them grow, with the purpose of edifying them and encouraging them to grow up into who they're called to be in Jesus Christ. 
So Paul talks a lot here, but he speaks specifically about speaking the truth in love. We are called to speak the truth in love, but it goes further than that. It's not just speech. In fact, if you look at the Greek, the word speaking isn't even there. Literally, it's truthing in love. So it's not just speaking the truth in love, but it's doing the truth in love. Just being a representative of the truth, representing, like bringing the truth of the gospel in love to the people around you. Intentionally, actively, personally getting involved with the people who are in this room, in their lives. Why? With what, what's the purpose of that? So that you might spur them on in their relationship with God. You might spur them on in their relationship with God. This is why we turn up to church on Sunday mornings. Now you might have other reasons, but this is what I think we should be doing when we come to church on Sunday mornings. We should be coming to church thinking to ourselves, how can I spur my brothers and sisters in Christ onwards in their relationship with Jesus? How can I encourage someone today? How can I pray for somebody today? How can I, help, how can I, how can I be actively involved in helping someone grow in their faith today? And here's the thing. Each one of us should expect to come to church and be encouraged in our faith. Because there's a, dozens of other people who have come to help us do that. That should be a realistic expectation. And the expectation on ourselves should be, I'm going to come to church to encourage somebody. So how can you come? How can you encourage people at church? Come. Now I know that's a bit of a mute point because you're all here. But did you know that your presence here on a Sunday morning encourages the believers? That we're showing up once again, we're getting out of bed, we're getting dressed, we're getting to church on time, some of us. Getting to church because we want to be there to encourage the believers. We want to encourage the body of Christ. You just being here lights my heart on fire. Because I know some of your stories. I know the struggles that you're walking th through. And the fact that you decided you're going to get up and you're going to come to church to, to, to worship God with other believers, that is such an encouragement to the body of Christ. So just come. And then once you've mastered coming, start singing loudly. And I, I, if you've been here for a while, you know that I harp on this a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced of this. When we sing together as a church, this is, it's not an individual, it's not me, Jimmy, singing to God on my own in, with disregard to everybody else. I can do that on my own. I can do that in my car. When, I, when we come to church on a Sunday morning to sing to God, we're not just singing to God, we're singing true things about God to one another. You need to hear that. You need to understand that. That's why we select the songs that we do. We don't just pick songs that just sound good. We pick songs that say true words because we're saying these true words within earshot. And I sing loudly. And I know it sucks with masks on trying to sing so that we can't hear it. But if you, if you get self-conscious about somebody hearing you sing, good. Sing louder. Sing. If you can't sing, praise. Like if you are totally tone deaf, I want to hear you. I want to hear you belting it out because I don't care how good it sounds. I just want to drown out the, out the piano. And that's not because the piano is not great. The piano is wonderful. It's excellent. But good worship begins when the congregation starts, when we are belting the songs out because that encourages the believers around us. You can encourage one another by serving. These, these services don't run themselves. 
You can encourage one another by serving here in the church. You can encourage one another by actively getting involved with, with a life group. And if you are the kind of person who you get kind of tired of how shallow the small talk is on Sunday mornings, go to life group. Because our life groups, our purpose for life groups is fellowship. That's first and foremost. That's why our every life group, we share a meal together. We, we, everybody brings something to the table, we share a meal, and it's a hodgepodge of random stuff. Sometimes everybody bought salad, and it's not a very good life group night. Sometimes we all bought chicken, and we're just like, it's the greatest life group night ever. Sometimes you've got like pumpkin soup and like chicken carbonara and a slice of pizza and a Tim Tam and popcorn, and that's what's on your plate. Because that's what the community got, that's what the community bought. That's great. It's about fellowship, it's about having table fellowship with one another and sharing with one another and then praying for one another as we do that. And I guarantee you, if you're part of a life group, your conversations on Sunday mornings will start to get deeper. Because you'll stop saying, How was your week? And you'll start saying, How's your mum going? How's everything going with your job? How'd you go with that exam? And as we grow as disciples, we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. You see, when we believe the gospel, we are disbelieving what we used to think was good news. We used to think that the good news was more money, greater influence, better stuff, unique experiences, harder and sexier bodies, and every other lie that we believe, that we, we, that we find so easy to believe. But when we believe the gospel, we repent of believing those things that are taught with human cunning and cleverness and techniques of deceit. We repent from believing those things and instead get our eyes on the truth of the gospel. And that's what it looks like to mature as disciples, to start looking at the world around us and go, actually, I reject that. I used to think it was my life goal to get that or the purpose of life was having that, but I reject that now. That's human craftiness. That's the world. That's not what God has called me to, and I repent of that. Repentance, says Eugene Peterson, is a decision it is a deciding that you have been wrong in supposing that you could manage your own life and be your own God. It is a deciding that you were wrong in thinking that you had or could get the strength, education, and training to make it on your own. It is a deciding that, that you have been told a pack of lies about yourself and your neighbors and your world. And it is deciding that God in Jesus Christ is telling you the truth. This is why we are so focused on discipleship here at LCC Calandra, because we believe that regardless of what this year has, has, will hold, what we have been called to do is to make, mature, and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ for all of life. Now, we haven't talked much about communities today, and uh, just so you know, our hope and plan with this church is to continue planting more churches that is in our future i don't know when that's going to be or how that's going to come about but our hope and our plan is to plant more churches we want to do that multiplying communities to go and share the gospel with people around them we want to advance god's kingdom through the making and maturing and multiplying of church communities and so uh which is why that's why we want to be part of like the acts 29 network which enables us to do more of that that's why we want to support church plants is why we often pray for other church plans and we refer to those because they are new church plans and so in light of that 
I'm really pleased to announce today that throughout the starting from next week and throughout the month of February, we're going to be taking up our very first ever Advance the Mission offering. For the month of February, we're going to be praying for and taking up a special offering to support the work of a church plant in Kathmandu called Krushko Sandesh Church. Now, we've prayed for uh, Narian Isha. Uh, we've prayed for them on a couple of occasions over the last 12 months. Um, they're a church plant that got started in 2016. Um, I got in contact with Narian about a year ago, and I simply just went on the Acts 29 website looking for churches to pray for, and I was like, Nepal, sound, sounds awesome. Clicked on that, found him on Facebook, got in contact with him, and him and I have been texting each other, messaging, messaging each other back and forth and encouraging one another in prayer. And I feel like where God is leading us at the moment is to support them as a church. They've been through a really rough time through COVID, particularly over the last few months of last year. Uh, but we are going to be uh, essentially throughout the month of February taking up a special offering so we can send them a financial gift to help them with some of the financial issues that they are facing at the moment as a church. Now, I'm not good with all of these details on how we're going to do that. So we're going to be sending out an email tomorrow with some more details about how that's going to go. But this is something that we're going to be doing annually. Not just with this church, but annually. We're going to be taking up, for a particular month each year, taking up a special offering to support the work of church planting around the globe and helping other churches around the place, whether that could be still here in Australia or overseas, to, to advance the mission, to, to make disciples, to make mature and multiply disciples and communities. So let me read to you a letter written to us as a church from Pastor Narian and his wife Isha, just giving us a bit of an explanation of who they are and what they are doing. And then over the next four weeks, we're going to be hearing more about them. We're going to be praying for them, and I'm going to invite, be invite, inviting you to give, um, especially to this church as, we go through, as they go through this time. So, greetings in the name of our Lord and Saviour. I am Pastor Narian Lamashane from Kathmandu, Nepal. My wife's name is Isha Temeng. We have two children, Aradna, our daughter, who is running seven, and Arogya, our son, who is running three now. Running, I guess, means they are that age. I come from an Orthodox Hindu Brahmin family, and my wife Isha comes from a Buddhist background. We are both first-generation Christians. I became a Christian at my early age and started getting involved in, in church activities. I decided to go to seminary in 2008 and graduated with a Bachelor of Theology degree in, uh, in 2011. I served in a church under a pastor for about four years. Then I got an opportunity to go for my Master of Divinity Studies in Sayex in Bangalore, India, which is a training institution, in 2014, along with my wife. While we were there, we went to Crossroad Bangalore Church, where I got first introduced to Acts 29. I was mesmerized by the gospel-centered teaching and practices, as this was our first exposure to it. Then I joined as a church-planting intern in Crossroad Church and returned back to Kathmandu in 2016 with a vision to plant gospel-centered churches in all over Nepal. After we came back, we started inviting people into our apartment, and soon we became 25 to 30 people. Then we launched church in December 2016 and continued to grow. Many people gave their life to God as the gospel was preached. In 2019, we moved to the common place of the church with about 60 people attending the church regularly. This was just three months before the COVID pandemic hit the world. During these three years of pandemic, we have seen many ups and downs. 
The church has been affected, but we have sustained as God has been faithful to us. We wanted to plant a new church in 2021, but could not do so because of the pandemic. Church has also been facing some tough times, but we are assured that God, who brought us so far, will continue to lead us ahead. We want to also invite the like-minded friends and churches to come alongside of us and partner with us for the glory of God in this nation, Narian and Isha. What a tremendous privilege to partner with our brothers and sisters around the world and spur the mission of God on to advance the kingdom. When I first read that letter, I teared up because it's like, oh my goodness, this is so good. This is hearing about... Like, hearing about what our brothers and sisters are doing around the world, hearing what God is doing around the world in this really difficult time. Difficult time to be a Christian, difficult time to lead a church, difficult time to to be part of a church when there's so much division going on right now. And right now, the church jolly well needs to shine. Jesus is just too good to not shine. Let's partner with our brothers and sisters in the world. Let's partner with our brothers and sisters here in this room because that's, what exactly has God's, that's exactly what God has called his people to do. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.